0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant.
1: In the new film, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, Tom Cruise is back as super spy Ethan Hunt. This time he has to get his hands on two halves of a complex key that somehow has the power to defeat an all-powerful AI known as the Entity. You'll see plenty of familiar faces as well as some new ones. Most interestingly, Haley Atwell. And yes, Tom Cruise still does a lot of his own stunts. I'm Linda Holmes and today on NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, we're talking about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Homes.com. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, local amenities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework.
1: Joining me today is Waylon Wong. She's the co-host of NPR's daily economics podcast, The Indicator from Planet Money. Hey, Waylon. Hi, Linda. And also here with us is Vulture TV critic Roxana Haddadi. Welcome back, Roxana. Thank you. And rounding out the panel is writer and host of the imminent Smithsonian Magazine podcast. There's more to that. You know, not for nothing, our longstanding action and punching correspondent, Chris Clement Hey, Chris.
0: Yeah. Hi, Linda. You know, Alec Baldwin once said I was the living manifestation of destiny. So if you'd like to introduce me that way in the future. That's we, what, I'll, do I'll do it next time. I'll do it next time.
1: So the Mission Impossible series has made billions of dollars since its debut in 1996. Tom Cruise plays Ethan Hunt, who battles various enemies with the help of his team at the Impossible Mission Force. The latest and seventh movie is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One, which is a very ungainly name (laughs) for a movie, but which signals that this is in fact the first half of a two-part story intended to conclude next summer. The story involves a godlike AI known as the Entity, which can go anywhere and do anything. It's probably recording this podcast right now. A godlike AI is obviously difficult to engage in the excitement of hand to hand combat, so Ethan also has to fight an antagonist named Gabriel, played by Esai Morales. Gabriel is an old nemesis of Ethan's, connected to his very long history of seeing women who adore him get murdered, but Gabriel's association with the entity makes him extra menacing. Haley Atwell joins the franchise as a spellbinding pickpocket named Grace, and Ving Rhames, Simon Pegg, and Rebecca Ferguson are back as members of Ethan's team. The story has chases, peril, explosions, and a whole bunch of fun things Tom Cruise apparently wanted to do, including motorcycle stunts and close-up magic. And yes, it has people wearing hyper-realistic masks. Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 was directed by Christopher McQuarrie and is in theaters starting tomorrow with all that said, Waylon Wong, what did you think?
4: I had a fantastic time at this movie. This is my favorite action franchise, mm-hmm. and it's number one in my heart, I think because it's so consistent. I was trying to think of another franchise that is just so consistent in terms of quality and delivering pure entertainment. And I think it's just Toy Story and Mission Impossible for me at this point. <laughs> and i I just was really enraptured by a lot of the action sequences, which I think is the big draw for me and a lot of other people. It does run a little long, but I didn't feel it because I was having so much fun, especially at the end. There's this extended set piece on a train.
1: That part's awesome. And I
4: was so immersed in it that at one point I involuntarily yelled, oh, no, just really loud, (laughs) which my husband said was his favorite part of the movie is when I Mm -hmm. yelled, oh, no.
1: (laughs) I actually, during that, I
4: several times went, yup. Yep, Because, <laughs> nice. like, the next thing, you're like, yep, <laughs> And so it's just one of those movies. that sucks you in. It makes you feel really excited. It gets your blood pumping. So I really loved it. I mean, obviously, caveats always, I did not love the killer AI angle, I think, because I'm still yeah. burned out from all of the dangerous AI we've encountered in pop mm-hmm. culture. I haven't even recovered from Westworld yet. I'm still feeling the tedium mm-hmm. of the killer AI in that series, so... And not so much into the villain, but I did really like Issa Morales as the human villain. And I really loved uh, Hayley Atwell. I thought she had really nice chemistry, incredible bone structure. I was Uh mesmerized. Yeah. All right. How about you, Roxana? What did you think?
3: I also am a major Mission Impossible fan. I think these movies are fun and goofy, and I appreciate that with every film, (laughs) given that... I do think this falls slightly lower than Fallout for me, which I think is like the pinnacle of all-around hot cast, all-around absurd (laughs) stunts. But this was enjoyable. I think overall the tone is, like, more solemn than I would anticipate from a Mission Impossible movie. I think the AI is treated with, like, sort of a funny amount of distance. Like, it's both, like, really evil and also, like, it's just an AI. I had a good time. I just sort of wish... I don't know. I almost wish this had just been one six-hour movie with an intuition. <laughs> I, yeah, mean, I really love that. that. But I think it ends in a place that really makes me want to see the second one. And that's really all you could ask from these like movies that are split into two parts is, yeah. do
1: I care about seeing the second one? And I do. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. Chris Klemek, I know you are also a yeah. Mission Impossible franchise fan. How did this one hit you?
0: This one is a a step down. I mean, like, I do think this has become my favorite franchise in my favorite genre. The four-film run that begins with Mission Impossible 3 Mm -hmm. in 2006, I really cannot think of another franchise that has produced four films in a row as strong as 3, Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout. So I come into this with wildly inflated expectations that this film didn't meet the crazy, chaotic process that produces these movies. It's just like the Impossible Mission Force on on one of their wild (laughs) missions where the mask machine breaks down, you know, so now we have to do this. I enjoy that sort of meta level to them in the same way that that To my mind, these movies have only gotten more enjoyable as the border between Tom Cruise actor-movie star and Tom Cruise crazy stuntman has gotten thinner and thinner. To the point where I absolutely believe it when Tom Cruise is climbing the Burj Khalifa or hanging off the side of an airplane in flight. And if he tried to play a regular guy with a regular job, I probably wouldn't buy it.
1: Right. And I I do want to say, like, one thing that happened during this movie was that I got really sad when all of a sudden I realized that Tom Cruise used to do a lot more different things. And basically, Mm -hmm. like, once he started doing this franchise, like, rom-com Tom Cruise and comedy Tom Cruise and, like, dramatic acting Tom Cruise, the one who was in Magnolia. 3
0: time Oscar nominee Tom Cruise. Like,
1: he kind of just quit everything else for the most part, except like action blockbusters. And to me, that's like slightly sad.
0: I think it's just that, you know, this is a guy who's very worried about market share. You know, he's not willing to be in movies that are just good and not a lot of people see them, right? The weirdness about Tom Cruise and and his lady co-stars that I know we're going to talk about is a direct response to the fact that the audience decided about 15 years ago, we don't like Tom Cruise kissing anymore. You know, uh, we're just going to elide all of that.
1: That's interesting and strange.
0: I mean, Mission Impossible 3 is a terrific movie that kind of bombed relative to the expectations for the series. And that coincided with, you know, jumping on the couch and all of the extra movie-related stuff that sort of – cut into the public's affection for Tom Cruise in a in a big way. And uh, yeah, so I don't think he, you know, back when he was starting his career and he was like, I'm going to work with Coppola, I'm going to work with Scorsese, I'm going to work with Barry Levinson, I'm going to work with all the best directors in the game, Kubrick. I don't think he said, and then I'm going to hit my mid-40s and only make action movies. That's what the market will still accept from him.
1: But like, don't you think it's also that it's what he enjoys doing? He has fun doing this. Yeah. He wants to jump motorcycles.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, uh, you know, like in the same way that James Cameron is like, I want to dive to the Titanic, but I don't want to pay for it. You know, how can I get a movie studio to underwrite this for me? I think it's part of that. Yeah.
3: But I feel like at a certain point, if we're having like a larger market conversation, I don't think that's just a Tom Cruise thing. I think there are other actors of a certain older age who have found this like action movie avenue that they stick to. Basically, what I'm saying is don't come for Tom Cruise, Chris. No,
1: no. (laughs) It's really me that's coming for Tom Cruise. And I will say it's less coming for Tom Cruise. And it's more like I just miss all the other stuff Tom Cruise isn't doing. It's less that I don't think these are good. I do think they're good. But Chris, if you had to sum up like what made this a step down for you? What do you think it is?
0: This movie, it feels like they left all the exposition in, like all of the sort of boring connective tissue of how we got here and how we got this. You know, this yeah. is the assembly cut. If this did not have finished visual mm. effects and finished scoring and stuff, I'd be like, well, they're going to take 25 minutes out of this, right? And no, it's it's all yeah. here. And it's just really awkwardly paced and weird.
4: You know, what's interesting is Macquarie has also talked about those shots where the characters are just reciting these Wikipedia articles about the MacGuffin. Um, he always shoots them... like in tight close-up and kind of a bland background, right? Because that makes it easier to cut later and to kind of figure out what to do with all those more boring pieces later. And I agree with you, Chris, that the Wikipedia scenes just went on entirely too long for me. There's that (sighs) extended scene in some sit room in the White House or at the Pentagon or something where they're just going around and around and around in a circle explaining the AI. And if there was a point in the movie where I might have checked my watch, even though I didn't, it would have been there because I just was like, when are we going to be done with the ritualistic reading of the Wikipedia article and just on with more Tom Cruise running or whatever. Whatever
1: I just find a godlike AI a difficult villain to build a movie around. Agreed, and it's simply too powerful. And you allow the villain to kind of shape shift to any situation <laughs> to be able to defeat the hero in a new way in any situation. And one of the reasons why people like you know Hans Gruber in Die Hard or even some of the other villains in this very series is that when it's a person, it feels palpable, and you can feel the conflict more, and you can feel the fight more. I mean, look, Isai Morales is not only an actor I've been watching and enjoying for decades, but also one of Hollywood's truly handsome men. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yes. My God. You know, to not objectify people, really good in this movie. And I, I like him. But I think expecting him to kind of stand in for this basically supernatural. You're essentially getting to the point where you're fighting secular God. And that, to me, is a tough conflict to make tactile. And that's my big problem with this movie, because I think when you look at the set pieces, there's a stretch in an airport, which I think is great. Mm -hmm. There's a car chase, which I think is great. The section that takes place on the train is fabulous. Loved it. Laughed. Shouted. But Linda, I agree. I missed what this franchise
3: normally does which is just like bad guy who has thing to sell <laughs> which is sort of what this movie also is it's like the ai is within the keys and yeah. they need the key because people are fighting yeah. over it and of course the american government wants it it's like that but there's an additional layer with it being the ai that i think is unnecessary and sort of convoluted and does lead yeah. To those long scenes where people are just like, wait, how does
1: the AI work? Well, at the end of this screening, I was sitting with our producer, Mike Katzoff, and Mike turned to me and said, I think if I hear the words the entity or the key one more time, (laughs) they're going to lose all meaning because you do eventually just feel like you've had it explained to you 400 times. Like, we don't know what the key unlocked. I don't know. Waylon, how did the uh, villainy work for you?
4: Yeah, you know, I think that villains have never really been this series' strong suit. I've always been oh. underwhelmed by—yeah, that's—I don't know if that's a controversial yeah, no, opinion. No, no. Philip Seymour have,
0: Hoffman is spinning in his grave, Wayland. No,
4: I yeah. love I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. I love the villain in three. Yeah. I love the villain in two. I feel like number two, it gets unfairly maligned. That's actually very high up on my ranking. I love Mission Impossible 2 with Dugray Scott. But I've been a little bit underwhelmed by some of the Macquarie villains, and I also found the AI here to be kind of perfunctory. I feel like they're you're moving through a list of objects that when in the wrong hands are going to cause world destruction. And they've already done virus. They've already done various permutations of nukes and big right. weapons. And so I think like killer AI is just the next thing that they pluck off of their Mad Libs list. And so that felt a little perfunctory to me. And so I wish they had leaned out of the killer AI and out of the key stuff and just more into... Issa Morales' character Gabriel as a person, because yeah. they set up a little bit of a backstory where you know they have history together, they're longtime nemesis, And then you think about Issa Morales and Tom Cruise coming up together in the industry and their paths having diverged very sharply in terms of levels of stardom. There's an interesting aura to that pairing that I would have liked to see brought out more. Instead, Issa Morales kind of pops up every once in a while, but otherwise it's a lot of tedious discussion of the key and the entity. So I didn't enjoy that so much.
1: All of the setup around explaining the AI really slows down the movie and slows down getting to one of my favorite parts of the movie, which is the introduction of the Haley Atwell character. I do have beefs with the general way that brunettes in this franchise (laughs) are sort of picked up and then dismissed and replaced with new ones (laughs) and so I'm always a little bit suspicious of like here's the new woman who Tom Cruise meets and she's spunky and has great skills and what will happen when they Meet and collide and all that, but I do think Haley Atwell is great in this. Yeah, as I said, I don't necessarily need to see everybody suddenly obsessed with doing close-up magic. But oh, I
4: liked it. I would have used fifty percent more close-up magic. That's awesome. <laughs> I want I wanted Tom Cruise to pull a core out of Haley Atwell's ear at some point.
0: <laughs> and that's another one of those things where it just does not really surprise you at all that Cruise can do this, and he does it in the first one, right? He does it with the disc in the scene with Jean Reno, yeah, where he's yeah, yeah. you know, know. so oh, it's yeah, kind of a I fun know. little. I
1: feel little. a way about some of it, but I do like. Kaylee Atwell and the car chase that the two of them are in together is is wonderful. It's one of my favorite sequences in the whole franchise. And so is the train. So like there's plenty in this movie to love. I just felt like it was held together with an extraordinarily flimsy and boring. Underlying story.
0: The car chase is the only one that has the kind of whimsy that you get in some of the other movies, like the the Burj Khalifa mm-hmm. climb in Ghost Protocol. That is one of the greatest stunts in the history of cinema, but it's also funny. Like it's when the broken mm-hmm. glove flies past his face. Like
1: the train is funny. Yeah.
0: It's true. It's true. Um, you know, but you know, I I think Fallout took the intensity, the the dire tone, the serialization in the series about as far as I want it to go. Like I I don't want it to go deeper into any of these things, which is what this film Dead Reckoning does but things in, in like in Ghost Protocol when when Simon Pegg and Cruz are sneaking into the Kremlin and they're setting up this dumb projector So
4: funny right. I just recently rewatched that. We didn't get an infiltration scene in this one. I'm hoping for one in the second.
0: Yeah. So I I mean like Tom Cruise and Hayley Atwell trying to do a a car chase in a ridiculously tiny car while they're handcuffed together. That's I mean that's great, you know, but that's the only one of these that has that kind of of humor.
3: I think that it was funny enough. But I again just think this comes down to being like a villain problem. When I think about what I love about Fallout, it's like we determine spoiler alert I guess if you haven't seen Fallout we determined that like Henry Cavill is a bad guy the CIA is antagonistic there are a lot of different layers of baddies in that film which I think like maintains a certain amount of tension throughout and a certain amount of humor as we try to figure out like is Henry Cavill's character just a jerk because he's a jerk or because he's nefarious right so like there's more there. Is the mustache controlling himself <laughs> right I mean the mustache is like the best he's ever looked so shout out to that mustache but I think in this <laughs> (laughs) Like, I almost wanted the AI to go, like, full Matrix and start, like, activating more baddies or something. Like, I agree with Linda that, like, the villain was so high up there that at certain points, I think the things on the ground, the way that these characters were interacting with each other just felt off. Like, it's a little weird to me that we don't get, like, a Simon Pegg doing something funny Sequence, Which isn't to say Simon Pegg should always be funny, but he's pretty good at it. Yeah, But most of the time in this film, he's just at like a certain level of despair. So I think there were just certain things about it that felt off tonally and pacing wise. And I think it just comes back to the villain being... Mm too big so like i liked the magic i thought it was funny but it's like we're doing magic in a movie about an ai (laughs) villain like there were there were certain things about it that just felt disjointed to me but i'm i'm willing to forgive a lot because the train sequence and we're not even talking about the motorcycle jump which is like the big Mm -hmm. stunt that they have hyped for like months releasing tons of videos about how it was done so i think all that stuff is is great there are certain parts of it throughout where I was like, something about this feels weird.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I rewatch this movie, basically everything that's not stunts in action, I will just fast forward through because it's not charming enough to me. Also, like, Ving Rhames has gotten very, like, philosophical. <laughs> Everyone is so philosophical. Yes. Yeah. But, like, his character in particular, I feel like, has gotten really, like, heavy, making these kind of portentous pronouncements. About this. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, is this what Luther was always like? I don't know. Maybe when you name
3: your film Dead Reckoning, there's like no way back to being funny. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just too dark.
4: Speaking of the longevity of this series and how long we've been watching these characters and just this whole franchise unfold. I actually was thinking a lot about mentorship <laughs> during um, this film. Is Mission Impossible actually like a workplace drama? I don't know. Uh, we can point counterpoint. But anyway, I was thinking about mentorship because, you know, Ethan has mentored younger IMF agents before. If you think about Carrie Russell yeah. and 3 or the way he mentored Benji. Remember, Benji did not start in the field but then gets to be a field agent. And then there's a scene with the young agent at the start of this film where it's like the first time the guys delivered one of these exploding messages, so he's really nervous, but Tom Cruise you know, coaches him through it. And then I was thinking about that awesome car chase with Haley Atwell when they're handcuffed, and he's also giving her instructions about how to drive in the car chase, because she ends up in the driver's seat, and she's not as confident behind the wheel as he is. I realized it's like he's teaching her how to be an action hero, and then in the Tom Cruise brand of being an action hero, and then I kind of zoomed out and thought about, is Tom Cruise in this stage of his career passing on the institutional knowledge he's built up about how to make a blockbuster? And you're watching him teach a younger actor how to do these stunts, kind of. And you're watching it unfold on screen. And then also, I was thinking about Top Gun Maverick, which is literally about Tom Cruise teaching the next generation of fighter pilots how to be Maverick. And so then I'm like, are we watching our last kind of old-fashioned movie star of a particular ilk passing on institutional knowledge of how to make a blockbuster does that mean that these Mission Impossible films are actually about the impossible mission of filmmaking? And I think it's an interesting choice for Tom Cruise to be dedicating um, so much of his life and, you know, risking his life basically to make these movies for us. It's like I think at one point I'm like, what if tom cruise dies making a mission impossible movie i feel like that's like a question we have to ask ourselves is this gonna happen
3: different action movies have done this like i think that the last bad boys was also very much like this where it's like here's the new class and we're like handing it off but i like that cruise has done like back-to-back movies with that point and i think that's a smart one to end on i like that
1: yeah yeah i agree well we want to know what you think about mission impossible dead reckoning part one Find us at facebook.com slash That brings us to the end of our show. Waylon Wong, Chris Klimak, Roxana Haddadi, thank you so much for being here to talk about this movie. Thank you.
0: Yay. Thank you.
1: Yay. Thank you. One last thing before we go. Speaking of uh, big movies, the upcoming Barbie and Oppenheimer face off at the box office got us thinking about some of our favorite pop culture matchups, and we want your votes on what's better. Think Batman versus Superman, Britney versus Christina. You'll hear the results in an upcoming episode of Pop Culture Happy Hour. You can find a link to the survey in our show notes. This episode was produced by Mike Katzif and Hafsa Fathma and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Linda Holmes, and we'll see you all tomorrow.
2: This message comes from Capital One, offering commercial solutions you can bank on. Your business faces specific challenges and unique opportunities. That's why Capital One offers a comprehensive suite of financial services, custom-tailored to your short- and long-term goals. Backed by the expertise, strategy, and resources of a top 10 commercial bank, A dedicated team works with you to support your success and help achieve your goals. Explore the possibilities at CapitalOne.com slash commercial. This message comes from NPR sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're carrying around a lot of stress, therapy is a safe space to get it off your chest. If you're considering therapy, give BetterHelp a try at BetterHelp.com slash NPR to get 10% off your first month.